Thank you for popping over, Sam. It's great to be here in this serene, <laughs> serene orchard of project <laughs> yeah it's a it's a crazy it's a crazy little place so look just before we get started i'm just gonna i think it might be helpful just to give a bit of a history here how how we kind of met and why mm. why i thought it might be a good idea for us to sit down and have a chat so um rachel and i have got one son miles who's now 15 towering above both of us now which isn't too difficult because rachel and i are both official hobbits i think <laughs> in the right country now <laughs> <laughs> and um We've always been slight, slightly educational anarchists, for want of a better word, which is one of the reasons why we homeschooled Miles for a long period of time. And we were very hesitant about sending him to college when he became college age. Um, and it was interesting. We went to go and visit a few colleges, and Rachel and I are not Christians. We're quite spiritual people. Um, we don't identify as Christians, although both of us were brought up in the age in the UK when we both went to Church of England schools because that's what you did and you you had assembly each morning and you sang your hymns and you did your prayers and you went to church once a week which was which was great because it was um, one of the things we identified with the Horizon College um, was above anything else it was a caring and loving environment and f for us that was um, more important than anything else somewhere that would, that would allow Miles to kind of grow, um, learn, and also ha have an appreciation for other people's faiths. Mm. And I remember distinctly having conversations with some members of staff when we were thinking about going to the school, being really clear about uh, our spiritual beliefs um, and making sure that that wasn't going to be an issue, and it wasn't. And consequently, <laughs> <laughs> you pick the short straw <laughs> and, and you 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 um you were probably one of the most influential don't start welling up or anything but i think you were probably one of the most influential people in miles's life at that age and probably i think looking back he'll think that as well hmm. Well, I'd just like to say I think he's a uh, he's a fantastic young man. I miss him. I miss hanging out with him every day. So uh, it was a real privilege to teach him. Actually, we had some great conversations. I mean, he's he's only fifteen, but my gosh, he can punch above his weight. So wonderful conversations about politics and spirituality with Miles. So I miss having having those most days. And I think I, I think I have to rationally have to take a degree of blame for that. <laughs> I think um, we always. I think with. Even from an early age, we never really sheltered him from anything. We were always discussed anything with him. Mm. Um, and I think we really encouraged that that inquisitive zest for life. Mm. And also looking beyond looking beyond the the the, the air quotes facts mm. to try and understand things a bit better. Totally. And and I will be forever grateful um that you were there at that point in his life because I think you probably have more of an influence than actually I think it's fair to say most teachers especially at that age probably have more influence mm. in a child's yeah, life yeah, than yeah. what you think um, so that's how we met mm. but also the thing that, that, that and I, you know one of the things that I'll try to do with all of these conversations I'll, I'll always um, these aren't impartial I'll always show my true colours on my sleeve and be quite open about it and 
we've had various experiences of Christianity and other religions. In fact, you know, we were talking about my father a while back, and he actually um, converted to Islam. Oh wow! Uh, in the later years of his life, and um, so we've always always had quite an interesting um, experience around conventional religions. Mm. If, you, if, if, if I want to, if I want to frame it like that. And what I what I loved about you, and also what I've loved about several people that I've met in the Christian faith um, over the years who have not come at it from a very dogmatic standpoint, and that's probably a word that's going to come up a little bit as we talk. Um, but I wanted to, I wanted, to, I invited you along first of all to feed you and water you, <laughs> and give you some good old good 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 British Indian cooking, um, but. What really, especially now more than ever, you know, we're living in really interesting times. Mm. And I know that you're now studying theology. And, and maybe let's, let, so obviously you're not teaching at Horizon anymore. Maybe just explain to people what you were doing there. Yeah, um, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm currently completing a Master's of Theology um, uh, while te- uh, lecturing at a theological institution. So I, uh, I lecture in the education department there. So I do a mixture of education and theology papers. Uh, and so I think what I'm really enjoying about that is an opportunity to bring both of those conversations together or both those areas of expertise together to have some quite constructive co- conversations around um, how does what you believe uh, influence the way in you teach. Um, so not just, I guess, you know, a lot of Christian education has been uh, primarily around content. Like we believe this, so therefore this is what we teach. You know, we don't have to look too far back to to look at the some of the debates around uh, science versus evolution to say, you know, that was a real, uh, that was a real big issue, like deciding how we teach science in schools. Um, when we seem to have this commitment to something else. Um, but the question I'm really asking is, well, no, pedagogically, or, or I guess the method of your teaching, how does that actually get influenced by your belief? How do you teach Christianly, for lack of a better word? Mm. Um, how do you teach from a place of faith rather than, you know, what does God say about what happened when? It's more, um, what are your dispositions? What are your um, ways of relating to your students? And how do you, uh, how do you get influenced by them? How does the reciprocal relationship work? So I'm really interested in that. And I think... There are some really good uh, conversations to be had around how spirituality and teaching intersect. And um, yeah, it's a really exciting thing for me looking at. So that's happening in my work, um, but a lot of crossovers happening between that and my thesis. And my thesis really is looking at um, the role of subjectivity in our religious belief, which is how do my inward convictions and my sense of truth and the big meanings of life, how much weight can I really give them? And I think... um, as someone who's gone through lots of different phases of, of faith and, and religion, um, it's a very interesting question for, for me, to be honest. And so I'm, yeah, interested in fleshing that out and saying, you know, if, you know, if it was a very low bar, if, if God's real, surely he can speak for himself in some way. And so what do we listen to? What do we interpret ourselves? So it's a good question. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> that's that's a sentence to finish. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. If, if, just threw a lot at you there. Yeah, if God's real. So that that's an interesting. So look, it's it's. Um, so let's talk. Let's let's come at this from from our, from both our perspectives, I guess. So my background is mainly scientific. Okay, so scientific and arts a bit a bit a bit of a weirdo. Um, so obviously went to Church of England school. 
Actually, then Actually, we're... So did I, and yeah. I want to ask you a question. Did okay. you sing a hymn called Jubilato? Yes. Jubilato, everybody. Oh, my gosh. Oh, God, I'm going to get, get a little shiver for that. I think I did, anyway. <laughs> but um, I, 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 the Kumbaya will never leave my mind, that's oh, for sure. But... Look, the thing I took away, I think I mentioned it as well, the thing I took away from that is, you know, as, as, a, as a young child, because obviously I started when I was maybe, you know, five or six, um, you don't question it, you're just immersed yeah, in it. Yeah. Um, that's actually, a, I have a fundamental issue with that at mm. five and yeah, six, yeah, yeah. okay, um, which was, you know, but yeah, I don't think I came out of it scarred, to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, I came out of it, it was... It was but a, you towed the line to be part of the group. You towed the line to be yeah. part of the group, okay. Then um, went to... Um, college or sixth form and that was actually a catholic sixth form believe it or not so you know out of the frying pan into the fire yeah yeah <laughs> absolutely and it was actually yeah. quite a strict catholic sixth yeah, form yeah. and that's where i met rach um over a, so it was, i went there because i wanted to study it was one of the few places where i could study pure mathematics applied mathematics mechanical physics and theoretical physics and also Theatre studies. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, so there's a little bit of creativity in this somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's somewhere. Um, and it, it was, it was, you know, Rachel's form tutor was a nun. It was wow. all that classic. It was, it was, pre- it was pretty full on. I remember um, the head. I'm not going to name it because I don't want to. I don't want to um, implicate anybody in anything where we went to. But the the the, the headmistress. Um, was hardcore, but her husband was a great laugh. Cool. Right? Um, so I remember, I don't know whether I should be telling these stories, but I will do for full disclosure. You know, she was so hardcore, she was quite easy to wind up. And, I, and, and, and you know, 16-year-olds do like, and 17-year-olds do like winding people up. So I remember several people would plant condoms in her office and this kind of stuff and and then have a good chuckle in in assembly on a friday morning when she would shout condoms and everybody would have a little i love that snook, snook. Yeah. and uh, you could see her husband sniggering <laughs> at the back, back of the hall but it, again it was it was a it was a, it was a great experience and um it was fascinating because my father we talked a little bit about my father before we started doing this, but my father was fascinated from a religious perspective. So he was born Catholic mm. in Dublin. Um, right. But his mother died. He, it was him and his sister, quite similar in age. His mother died at a very early age, and his father was feckless. And so the only people that could farm, the only people they could farm them out to was a Protestant family. Mm. So here you have a Catholic, Catholic boy farmed out to a Protestant family and, and being brought up by the Christian brothers or the unchristian brothers from all of the abuse stories that I remember my, my father telling me, you know, beatings, sexual abuse, all the things, all the things on the scale. And he was separated mm. from his sister, mm. you know, at an early age. Um, so it was a really, so it was quite interesting for me going through that whole, you know, Church of England and yeah, Catholic yeah. stuff. And I never, ever, um, growing up, I, I, you know, I, I read the Bible quite a few times. And I, 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 there's fascinating things in the Bible, you know. Mm. I, I loved Psalms. I, I loved um, a, a lot of the Bible. A lot of it I thought was batshit crazy, um, especially coming from a scientific perspective. And this is what started me. Th- and it wasn't really until um, a few years ago when, and this is where we want to get into the whole dogma thing as well, because 
Let's go back to maybe the 1500s. I know it's going back a little bit, but we obviously, at that point, you know, if we take a look at um, Copernicus, maybe uh, Galileo Galilei, um, uh, Bacon, um, yep. even Newton. Yep. They were all religious men. Mm. And it was almost a time in history where religion and science cohabited quite happily. Yep. And still do in many parts of the world outside of Western culture. Um, so I found, so studying science, I found that really interesting, first of all. Um, and I read, I read a, a lot about that, etc. Um, and immediately you start to see the dogma, especially when uh, I think Francis Bacon was, I think he came up with the saying, you know, knowledge is power yeah. or something. Well, um, he, he was the, he was the guy that said uh, science is, you know, supposed to be used for instrumental purposes so we we science the whole point of science is that we can manipulate the world more than yeah. we could before so very yeah very instrumental in that regard so not for knowledge's sake but for domination yeah, yeah. If you like. well yeah. i mean that's the thing where you know so uh, 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 governments only really adopted science as power so they could dominate yes. yeah. so they could dominate other governments and it worked, other, and it worked. Yeah. so the fascinating the fascinating thing for, for me with this was that um it started that whole dogmatic process where, and I, I'm an idiot, so I, I, I don't know what I'm talking about half the time, and I always encourage people to go and double check what I'm saying because my memory is not great. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of digging back in this, but um, I think there was some, somebody built an astronomical clock, and I don't know whether it was in Salisbury Cathedral or somewhere, but it was that point in time where obviously um, the Catholic Church weren't very happy with Galileo Galilei going, hey, come and look through my telescope because I think you'll find this, the, 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 the Earth is revolving around the sun rather than the other mm. way around. And it was, so at that point, they go, no, we don't want to look through your telescope because it's not true. Mm. And I, I don't know whether that's the first example of a, of a religious dogma in its extreme where I'm, I'm not open to any persuasion. I'm not open to um, something which is contrary to my belief mm. and obviously he was oh no, I, you know, without going into detail I think he was put under house arrest and he wasn't treated particularly too well about it um, but it was that period where I suppose you mo you moved from a religious to more of a mechanical yeah. mechanical mechanicals of a life Newtonian and the universe the Newton view, yeah. yeah the Newtonian worldview and it was at that point where you know you'll get um, there, there was an understanding of how the heavens moved mm -hmm. and when they built um oh, obi the dog's coming to say hi to sam if you can hear some snuffling he's a bit of a pain in the in the backside but he'll be all right away obi away go get your bone <laughs> anyway so it's one of those things where um from memory and you probably know more about this than than i do it was that point where they 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 built an astronomic astronomical clock which showed the phases of the moon and the sun and and it was almost like a reinforcement of we don't need God anymore because we can, mm. you know, everything is everything is a mechanical process. Um, so here we so here we find ourselves with perhaps some of the the some of the original dogmas on both sides. We have the the, the church going, I don't want to look through your telescope, and we have um, scientists going, we don't need religion because we can solve everything through yeah. through, through through mechanics and, and, and science. And I wonder how much further we've come from that. <laughs> yeah, good question. Um, 
Well, there's no question about it that those kind of developments really kind of shook the authority of the church, you know. Up until around that age, uh, around that time, um, you know, the church really was the authority on everything. It was the authority on science, knowledge, God, the way society should be run. Um, everyone looked to the church leadership for all things. And so the threat that, um, I guess, Copernicus, Galileo, uh, Galileo and uh, Columbus all kind of um, brought to uh, the scene was, you know, hate to bring it to, to you know to bring it to you but the we have a heliocentric universe it's not it's not the world's not in the middle and uh and actually it's not three-tiered of the the earth is slot but slotted between hell and heaven and it's certainly not a dome um that we live in with the heavens sort of pasted on top of this dome that we look at um actually we've got this um far more um disenchanted mechanical view of the universe and so what that did to the authority of the church was everything you've been preaching for the last 1500 years is wrong and oh, this sent shockwaves through everything but there was far more that was happening at that time in terms of um, authority as well i mean are you, around that time you had the protestant reformation which you know you got people like luther who are looking at the the catholic church and saying the way that you're using your authority is actually abusive um you know they were selling indulgences to people so they could sin uh, that's there are all kinds of problems with that and so he... Um, Sounds like a good business. <laughs> it does. It does. Well, I think it works. Um, so, you know, we've got all these shockwaves going through the way that we understand knowledge to be passed to us. Um, but what the Reformation did is they said, we can't trust the authority of the church anymore. Actually, now that if the authority resides in the Bible, but also in every single individual, um, in the sense that, um, sorry, the knowledge doesn't res reside with us, but... Um, we don't rely on the, the authority to get us there. We all need to decide for ourselves what's true because, um, and we all need to have, uh, I guess, a certain level of holiness. Uh, so we don't rely on the, you know, our vicars or our priests to do that. We need to embody it. And so I guess there was this huge um, sort of equalizer for everybody was the same under God. Obviously, that's great in a lot of ways, but obviously that then completely transforms your relationship to the, the chain of being. So no longer are we seeing God and then the king and then your religious authorities and then you and then whoever's under you. The chain of being that held us all together in place is now completely pulled out of view and it's now every single person before God. And in that mindset, we then create economic systems and political systems, which is like we're all, we're all individuals that come together for our own mutual respect and holding each other up because we all opt into the system. Um, and obviously what you can, you can pick up from that is what, what intensifies in the, in the 500 years after this event is um, that the authority around truth and meaning and God and what we know to be true continually gets more and more centered on ourselves as individuals. And so what, what was embedded in the way that we saw the universe and the chain of being has now continually been... Uh, viewed as within ourselves and my question is <clears throat> there's a lot of good things about that I think and probably more good things than bad things mm. but I, I've got serious questions and concerns I guess around a lot of people that I know when when you say that you have to answer all the big questions about life you know is there a God what makes a good human life you know, how do I find meaning in death and suffering uh, how do I find meaning at all um, what is it to be spiritual? Um, how do I know things to be true? I think there's an element of, yes, your subjectivity has to be part of that. You can't just be told 
all the time. But I think also if, if your subjectivity becomes everything, it's a very heavy burden because now I'm having to answer all these big questions for myself and, and I do think there's a certain futility to putting this weight on people and saying you have to answer all these things for yourself and, and we can't do it. I guess life was much simpler when, when people would go, oh, well, there's nothing I can do about it, whatever will be, yeah, yeah, yeah. will be. Well, I think a lot of people do that. Yeah. But then I think a lot of people struggle with that too. So I think it's an interesting dilemma for all of us in which... I mean, one way of looking at it is a great author called Charles Taylor who has written these massive books on how uh, ideologies and philosophies have changed in the West, and I'm a big fan. But um, he talks about our society now, and I think this is really a, probably a key thing to look at for both of us on, mm. on, on our differences and similarities. Is He says that basically our culture and our society is cross-pressured, and that what that means is you know, we live in this world of where we're caught in between certainty and uncertainty, but also transcendence and imminence. We're caught between some certainties and things we can really hang on and the, all these big questions of all this mystery that we don't know. And similarly, we're caught between the transcendent, the spiritual, the divine, the sense that there's something beyond us, yeah. but we're also caught in this world, which seems to be at times, there's nothing but this world. Yeah. And so we're caught between these cross pressures, trying to answer these big questions. And it doesn't matter what side of whatever spectrum you are on, we're all cross-pressured and we feel all of it. And yeah. I'm interested in that conversation. Yeah, and I, I guess one, one um, classic example of this is, uh, look, Richard Dawkins fascinates me. Yeah. <laughs> because um, I, I, am not an, I am not an atheist in any way whatsoever. Mm. Um, personally, I believe there is something mm. um, and I take comfort in that. Mm. And it's interesting. So maybe since the nineteen, so maybe since the nineteen twenties, when quantum physics was really mm, was, was yeah, really yeah. first um, on the table, much to um, Albert's um, frustrations, <laughs> he was never a fan, Mister Einstein, and he, he he kind of battled the remaining years of his life um, trying That's to right. trying to do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So the, the thing that the, the, so up until that point. Science was very mechanical, mm. it was very absolute, mm. and it was very dogmatic. It's like, we can, we can do this experiment, we can prove this, and so we know it to be so. Yeah. We trust our senses. Yeah, we trust our senses. Empiricism. Yeah, yep. all that kind of thing. So, um, materialism. Yes. So, 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 so the, the world entered its, its phase of material, not as in capital, you know, money, but as in, as in material, as yeah, in, yeah, as, yeah. you know. So the, the mind was a brain rather than the soul. It was, it was neurons finding, firing chemicals Bio and this kind of biological... Biochemical machine. Yeah, we were, we were all, we were all um, brainless machines, yes. you know, type of thing. Quantum, quantum physics came along. The thing, you know, the thing that's always fascinated me with quantum physics was, for the first time, scientists could not be definitive about things. Mm. Um, you know, fundamentally, at that level of science, at that level of physics, it's inherently an uncertainty principle. Mm, absolutely. You know, things can be in multiple places at the same times. They're not in a particular place until you look at it. And yeah, I'm simplifying it really, really. In, re, it really almost out. seems to be relational in this, in a sense. Yeah, and also, um, you know, without going into the, the minutiae of, of particle physics, you'll get, um, you know, the particles are a bit of an illusion. Everything is basically a wave. And, and, a, yeah. and, a, and this, this wave, you know, you know, fundamentally, you and I, 
sitting a, a meter away from each other and there's no covid here so we can do that that's quite right. <laughs> <laughs> um fundamentally we are the same fabric mm. um i'm going to bang on the table here and it feels solid but that's Mm. It, a fundamental part of physics. As far that, as it goes, that, it that, feels solid. That's, it feels solid, yeah. but that's yeah, it, it's yeah. not solid. No. You know, when I do that, as soon as I put my finger on the table there, um, what's happening is there's a one angstrom or a, there's a there's some virtual photons repelling between my finger and the table, which gives the illusion that it's solid. And this is scientific fact, mm. but it's very uncomfortable for a lot of yeah, scientists, yeah. you know, because it's for the first time. So. I, I, I went on this path and studying this, and, and <clears throat> I came across an author not long ago who fascinated me, and it was probably the f one of the first times in my life where I found somebody who was writing along the same... I mean, I know it's not good to live in an echo chamber, but it was also reinforcing lots of things that I was thinking over the years. And he's a, he's a guy called Rupert Sheldrake, and Rupert Sheldrake is a fascinating guy. So he he's an Anglican always been a man of faith and a man of religion, but he was also a, um, a biologist um, on a genetic level, um, professor at Cambridge, um, eminent in his field. But his, he was always driven by his faith. Mm. And one of the things that always fascinated him, um, so his speciality was genetics and in plants. So he would, you know, he would travel to India and help people breed better varieties of chickpeas or whatever um, <clears throat> but what he realized very quickly is genetics don't explain everything they explain very little in in living organisms mm. because um, the, the the genes in a plant are exactly the same in the stem as they are in a flower mm. or a leaf so how does that how does that plant know to grow a flower yeah. how does it know to grow a leaf how does it know to grow this because it's certainly not the genetics no. it's um epigenetic it was something beyond genetic it was something it was some epigenetic um principle going on here and <clears throat> whenever whenever he would discuss this with his western colleagues he would obviously come up with against the dogmatic wall of science mm. you know don't be silly rupert you know, it's obviously, it's just that we've not understood it fully yet. You know, it, it's obviously got to be genetics, but we've not understood it. And he'd spent enough time in India where, and actually India is one of those fascinating countries where science and religion still live happily mm. side by side. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it, it, the, the, they don't see a separation in that in many respects. And he formed this theory called, um, I'm trying to remember the name of it now. I think it's called... Um, Morphic resonance. So he has this theory that, that, that organisms, biological organisms, are controlled, uh, are, are grow or develop in ways based on the experience of, of, of the organisms previously. Right. Okay. So obviously people considered that to be crazy. So he decided to do experiments and stuff. And, and there is some very, there's some very, very compelling um, scientific evidence for this. So, for example, um, let's when you're when you're developing chemistry, I have to try and scratch my head back to my chemistry now. So, when you when you doing chemistry and you develop a new salt compound or something, uh, compound of chemicals, the the crystals in that the first time you grow them, it can take 
months mm. for those crystals to appear. And he was curious to say, well, if this morphic resonance thing is real, if there's something epigenetically going on here, then surely the next time they're grown, they'll develop quickly because as an organism, it should be able to pick up on this morphic resonance, mm. for want of a better word. And sure enough, it was found to be the case. So he would be doing an experiment in, in Cambridge and some other lab in, in, in Sydney would would develop the same salt that had no contact with them. Nobody would travel between them, carrying spores or contaminating it, and it would develop quicker. Mm. And then each and every other subsequent experiments, it would the, the salts would develop quicker and quicker. It, it did same experiments with 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 rats. Um, so so they'd do a maze and you know, set up one experiment with rats in one country. It would take so long for them to do a maze. And then, surely as anything, you know, in other countries, the rats would start competing it quicker. Mm. So, there's, it's so scientifically, there was enough evidence here to warrant more explanation. Mm. There was enough evidence here for the scientific community to go, that's interesting. Mm. We should look into that more. Mm. Instead, what he came against was castigation. Mm. You know, don't be a, don't be a lunatic. Yep. And so here we have the, the you know, uh, from a religious perspective, you've got somebody saying, I'm right, there's this power in the sky that, that you know, uh, and from that dogmatic, and also then we have the scientists being guilty as the same yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, there's fundamentalism everywhere. Yeah. yeah. So, so that fascinated me in that, um, and there are lots of other things. I, I really encourage people to go and, uh, and read some of his books. And so he, he decided to, to look at, several several dogmas in in science he so first one was uh, is uh one of the examples would be is your mind in your mind or is it external and there's lots of different examples and he, he does lots of experiments even along the lines of um like even telepathy and stuff like this mm. and crazy things like do people know when they're being looked at but he did very controlled, double-blind tested experiments which showed highly significant statistical... Mm. When they say highly significant, let's say, for example, you would get two siblings and one would be guessing what... Say, let's, let's, say, let's say they had four, four cards with a circle or a square or whatever. One would look at one and then the other one would say what it was. So statistically, you'd have a 25% chance of getting it right. And it's not that there was a, a, an amazing... Um, a, a result from it, you know, like everyone was right. It was statistically enough to make it significant. So maybe it was, they got it right 29% of the time or 30% of the time. So from a pure scientific perspective, this was impossible, but from a, but it was happening. Mm. But then the scientific community goes, no, we're, we're not, we're not following that. So that began my, my sort of interest in dogma mm. and particularly from not just scientific and religious, but obviously we're in interesting times now where, mm. whether it's political dogma or whether it's social dogma. Yeah. I mean, do, you, do, I mean, we obviously see that. Mm. We've lived through it for the past four years quite interestingly. What's your, what's your thoughts on that? Where to start? Oh man, dogma. Um, interesting, I mean, uh, last year, the first half of last year, I really looked into the, the linkages between uh, or I guess the commonalities between theology and science and scientific 
knowing and the process of knowing and updating your knowledge through experiments. Um, there's a particular scientist that I read uh, called Michael Polanyi. I don't know if you've mm. heard of him. Yeah, yeah. He's a philosopher, he's a scientific philosopher. And his whole thesis, which he proved through this incredibly difficult to read 400-page book, which I will never read again unless I'm forced to, um, in this book called Personal Knowledge, is basically saying um, <laughs> the, the presence of the scientist really impacts on the experiments being done here. And he, and he gives all of these examples on how the ideas you carry into your experiments, the way you see the world, what you leave out, what you narrow in on, and also your intuition on what you follow, it all mm. plays this massive part on, on what actually, what results you get. Um, and um, so it's this amazing book on saying that actually all knowledge is personal. None of it is out there abstract. We're all always involved in knowledge, like, um, and it's all relational. Um, so I guess I've looked into science in the same way and just said like, oh, it's really not that easy to understand so you look at some of the atheist fundamentalists like Richard Dawkins and you think you just haven't really listened no. to what you're arguing for so I mean to me I'm not that threatened by by him no. at all I think he's he's an, <laughs> he's an angry man well he's an interesting guy because I remember there was one point um there was a, a channel 40 a fascinating thing a few years back and it was actually Rupert Sheldrake um, compiled all of this evidence. He did papers, he got all the research together, and he sent it to Dawkins. Dawkins wanted to do a, a television series for Channel 4. And um, he refused to look at the... Dawkins refused to look at the science. And Rupert Sheldrake goes, well, well why? He says, because it's obviously flawed. <laughs> and he says, well, how do you know that? Are you not yeah, going to look, yeah. look at the science? At least tell me where my methodology is wrong or where something is wrong. And... It's in, you, know, you talked about the, with the, the influence from whoever's doing the science, and that's, that's a, that's a, it's yeah. sort of a, a, an accepted um, secret in the scientific community that there's experimentation bias. You you're, know, part that, of, you're part of a tradition, uh, like a, a scientific community that says what's valid and what isn't, it? and it's a really important community that, that actually validates research and updates human knowledge. And so, but with that, you've got to understand that nothing is out there it's always within the community so it's mm. all relational but it's interesting what you're saying because um this whole blinded i don't want to hear what you have to say and obviously being brought up in mainly the evangelical church uh within new zealand and england um uh, you know i've i've seen lots of stuff like that from the other side of we do not want to hear what you have to say obviously you're wrong from ridiculous things to oh well you've seen that there are fossils in the ground god must have put it there to test our faith and, and things like that which you really are at this point doing massive theological acrobatics to try and get around that kind of stuff. Mm. I think what the, the, the good part about all these conversations is we're seeing that there's actually not a lot of disagreement between science and theology at the moment. Um, yeah, it's a really interesting space we're entering at the moment. Yeah, and I think obviously metaphysics has helped with that, like you're talking about, um, where we're, you know, we're understanding that actually there's a huge mystery to reality itself and that we haven't got to pin down. Um, but similarly, I think um, we're understanding more of what the Bible is. And the Bible is not a scientific textbook. It is an ancient book written through you know, lots of different people groups. And for lots of different reasons, you know, ancient Hebrew literature is not about saying this is how things happen just as they were. They're actually trying to place human beings in their time and space and, and saying what we're here for. And so, you know, Genesis 1, which is God made this on seven days, you know, yeah. It's not about... I hope, he was on a, I hope he got a bonus for that, because that was a lot... <laughs> yeah, it's a lot to do in the six days. 
But I mean... Um, and I'd have worked the seven, because on the seventh day, you'd have got double time. That's right. Well, <laughs> thankfully, he did only work for six. So I got that wrong. But, um, you know, that, that piece of literature, it's a poem, and it's not meant to say God did it in six literal days. It's meant to... It's this poem to say, mm. you know, human beings are in this world that's ordered by God out of chaos and given meaning, and we're placed in there as this image bearing. So take your job as God's representative seriously. I think it's beautiful. And that, that's a really interesting thing. So it's like... Um, when my father started dabbling in, in, in Islam, and I, I remember starting to read the Quran, and um, it's fundamentally the Old Testament in lots yeah, of ways. Yeah, 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 oh, it does. Yeah, it includes yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and we were never taught that in school. <laughs> yeah. God, Amazing, yeah. God forbid, from, from the irony. But yeah, yeah. It, was, it was always like, and. Um, but they're all baddies, that's why. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was just. And I, I don't want to be disrespectful to anybody, but if you read that stuff as 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 absolute fact, mm. you're missing a trick because it's it's an inter first of all it's an interpretation on an interpretation, and it's been translated so many times. And historically, there's so much power and control that man has put over large populations of people through the name of religion. Um, that we have to take a lot of it by the brain of, by, with a grain of salt, and I just wonder where we are in in the religious landscape, mm. especially now, yeah. where how is that taught in not just evangelical churches, mm. but in religion as a whole? Uh, you know, it's like should I should I stone my neighbour to death because they're wearing mixed fibres today? <laughs> Um, or yeah. is it becoming more nuanced or, you know, are we, are we talking that, you know, are we still, or we still have that religious dogma that the world's 4,000 years old? Yeah. Like I don't, I think it's easy to caricature that stuff and it's easy to read the Bible, uh, I think in an, into a simpler way. And so there are different laws, uh, and different levels of laws. There are sort of, um, laws that are more, uh, for a time and space and there are more transcendent laws so you might look at something like the fiber thing or um, you might look at other laws around um, I guess sacrifice or cleansing and stuff and and actually made perfect sense then um, and, and what you got to remember is that this was revolutionary for, for a civilization to come up with something like this at that time and place because it's a very rich retributive society in which it was very bloodthirsty um, you actually have a um, a story in the Bible um, of a time in which the sons of um, Jacob actually acted in a way which wasn't great. So um, their their sister was raped um, by by a foreigner, uh, which meant that she had to then marry him. Um, and um, you know, obviously, they were very angry about this, and so they. Um, they said, you know, you're going to have you and all all the men in your clan basically have to be circumcised, and they're fully grown men, so have to be circumcised. But they did it. They honoured the agreement. And while these men were healing, uh, Jacob's sons marched into uh, the camp and slaughtered all of them as retributive genocide or revenge. And there's a sense in which that was a really typical but terrible thing to do. And what the law did was to say. We're actually going to base um, our society on something that's better than revenge and reciprocal um, ways of living. We're actually going to say we're going to put limits on things. Mm. And this is repeated again and again. So in that time and place, the law was actually 
pretty revolutionary, but didn't go far enough. And that's why, you know, throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, you have the prophets saying, yeah, I know the law says this, but, but this is what it's actually trying to point you at. This is the important part. And finally, I think Jesus comes and does that and says, look, the rules aren't the important thing. They are, they are there to try and point you to a particular kind of human humanness. And actually that looks like the way I'm living. So I'm your new law. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm your new law. This is what it looks like to embody this stuff. Because mm. the question began to emerge in literature of what does it look like for a human life to follow this well? <laughs> yes. And finally we got it. And, and it didn't look like what the Israelites thought it would. In fact, they were pretty angry and eventually he died for this reason because he was speaking as if he was representing God and didn't fit their picture. So... I mean, this this whole dogma, this whole, um, I guess, uh, holding on to your own ideas mm. of what God is like, what truth is, is as old as everything, really. I mean, and 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 all through the Bible, you have this two con- this double consciousness of I know what I've said, but here's the real spirit behind it. And so, interesting times, and I don't think humanity has moved out of that, and we're finding new ways of doing that, and uh, we're seeing it more in the political realm of you know, is pick a side. And whatever we stand for, that's the correct truth. And we won't even listen to the other yeah. side. Um, so I think there's just a tendency in human nature to demonize the other and to... And to so was, was Freud right? You know, if we scratch the surface, are we all, are we all homicidal maniacs? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think he was on to something in terms of yeah. there is something within us that needs to be transformed for sure. And, and you know, it's, it's really easy to... to get wound up on um, religious dogmas, you know, because um, people will publicly stand by something because it's written yeah. in the word, so it must be so. Mm-hmm. As, as ludicrous as it may be, or as scary as it sounds, this is my truth because it is written. Yeah. But science is just as guilty as that. You know, if you take example, let's take some things that we take, you know, fundamental that we take example every day. So constants are interesting so mm. speed of light uh let me think of another one big g gravitational constant um uh, there's, there's others but let's just look at those two they're not constants <laughs> yeah, that's right <laughs> so it's interesting so the speed of light is only fixed because they got fed up with it shifting around so much they decided to just fix it but that fascinated me because you know all through my years of of, of science and maths and everything else You'd write down C and you'd assume it was constant. You'd write down G and you'd assume it was a constant. And it was not until I actually looked into it that, you know, the speed of light is, you know, they used to get, they used to, the way they used to arrive at these constants would, they would be tested all the way around the world in different labs and they would get all the results and they would take an average and then that would be the average that comes out of it. They'd they'd throw away any any outriggers of, of weird results. But even so, even with that, and even as methods to measure it more accurately and accurately came in place, it still fluctuated. Mm. It's like gravity fluctuated quite a lot. Mm. Um, and the speed of light fluctuated enough to be significant. And there's no r- logical explanation for that because it should be fixed. Well, so that's another example of its personal knowledge, isn't it? Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so somebody somewhere in the, sta- in the standards of measures, yeah. I forget the name, there is, a, there is an organisation that does that, but they decided... I'm fed up with this. Let's just fix it. Mm. It's this. There you go. No, we don't bother experimenting anymore. We're just going to go with this. 
people don't realize a lot of people don't realize that with with science is is it comes back from a very there's as much personal perspective and standpoint mm -hmm. in that yeah, as there is in a religion yeah. in some ways and your point on we, you know more than anything now and certainly since the rise of social media um I mean, talk about a double-edged sword. I mean, we were just talking about Trump and, and all that kind of stuff before we started. And, um, you know, one can argue that that all of that craziness happened as a result of a lot of social media. Mm. And one could also argue that it actually got rectified as a result yeah. of social media as well. Um, so, again, it's not a clear-cut thing. But we are... We are definitely in, in this sort of bipolar, mm. you know, everybody's standing in their own fortress, mm. throwing abuse at each mm. other because they believe they're right. And it's almost the, the, the inability to, to accept somebody else's point of view or even open your mind up to the possibility yeah. that you might be wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I mean, it's like undeniable, really. Um, and, it's, and it's a worry that I think... Um, you know, we've put more emphasis on the subjective to the point where um, we now have to destroy those that don't agree with our sense of the truth. Um, I think that's a it's a bad mutation, but that's a, it's a historical mutation. Um, but I think it's one of the interesting things. Like, I don't like how Christianity mutates and 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 joins itself to forms of. Uh, political activism or, or nationalism sometimes and becomes something that it's not, uh, especially, I mean, we've seen this in, in America as, you know, great example, but, um, you know, throughout... Well, we've seen it here as well recently in the elections, you know, we had, yeah. Uh, yeah. We had some crazy political stunts going on here with some interesting characters. <laughs> we did, yeah, I mean, and, and so you see these mutations of, of Christianity and I think what I've been stunned at and inspired by and challenged by constantly is that the way I understand Christianity in its pure form is if, you know, we have this disposition within human nature to always other the other group and to say that you are outside the realm of the good, if you like that. Um, but the message of Christianity says that you are not allowed to do that. That difference is the beginning of the conversation. And the reason we can say that is, you know, the message of Christianity is God became one of us even when we were still warring and, uh, I guess, enemies of God, and then <laughs> entered into our institutions, entered into our organization, uh, entered into our social practice. He entered into all of that and embodied something true, I, I would argue, and then we killed him. <laughs> and instead of retributive violence, he absorbed the violence and it all became about forgiveness. So if you'd like, Christianity is the mechanism to exhaust the violence and for, I guess, the cycle of violence to end because we're now we've, we've, I guess, committed the ultimate violence against God himself. And he said, that's not going to be the end of the relationship, which I find incredible. So if we're going to take yeah. Christianity seriously, hmm. it can never be wedded to anything that others, the other group. I mean, I'm with you, but the little devil's advocate voice <laughs> in my head yeah, yeah, yeah. when you're saying, you know, um, I don't think anything in the world has been responsible for more deaths and injustice than, than, than fundamental religion in some way or another. Um, I think actually, I mean, I don't like to I'm, I'm, push I'm, back too I'm, hard. I'm being very, I'm being very simplistic. <laughs> I think statistically, actually, um, 
secular humanism has killed more than than religion throughout the ages and i and it's but it's a common narrative to say that religion did that and the problem is historically also religion has always been tied into the societal order so it's very hard to pull apart which which was at play here was it the societal order or religion itself it's hard Mm. to know yeah i guess so and also i'm i'm when you know it's, it's almost like um Here's a here's a pronged question for you. <laughs> is social media the new religion? Ooh. Because it's almost as if there's, there's some there's, there's some real social there's some really real zealots. Oh man, the day to day, crazy. And it's, and 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 they you know they they quickly gather a band of followers, mm. and there's just no deviating from their message sometimes. You know? I think I think social media allows um, these fringe groups to find each other, and so we can they can become big yeah. uh, entities when they probably weren't able to do that before. Mm. I think in terms of social media being a new religion, I think I think it was probably from what I've seen more accurate to say that in many ways institutional religion is declining, but spirituality is on the rise spirituality and it's yeah. and it's fragmenting it's diversifying and i mean you've you've said it in your story you know you class yourself as, as spiritual you'd, you'd understand something to be oh, out there yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, i think that's that's quite a common view i mean you know it's it's i dabbled with christianity in younger years yeah yeah but it was it was an evangelical church which actually scared the shit out of me in the end what happened um it became very cultish very quickly. Mm. It was almost like it wasn't. Can't about, disagree with the leader. Ah, uh, it was. It was about. It was. Wasn't about. It was. It was less about fellowship and more about recruitment. I'd like to say that wasn't my experience as well, but unfortunately, I I know what that's like from the inside. Yeah, and interestingly, at the same point, you know, there's been a couple of people in my life um, who identify. And have been committed Christians, mm. not committed because they were Christians. <laughs> One was a, and I'll, I'll mention his name because he's a very special person called Edward Pogmore, um, who I believe was an Anglican, uh, and he was a, um, a hospital chaplain, part of a, a multi-faith chaplaincy team, and he was very pragmatic, and his mindset was very much similar to yours. Um, you know, you know, we can't, you know, we can't take everything as you can't take everything you read as as verbatim. We have to, we have to read into it. We have to understand the history behind that. We have to understand the, what was happening in the world at the time mm. of that. Um, and um, the other person actually there's a guy, there's uh, um, a guy called um, Alex Perry who's uh, an obstetrician, and he he delivered miles. Um, when he was 26 weeks and we're still close friends mm. um, and what he deals with on a day-to-day basis his faith he has a deep faith and that's where he gets his solace but I've never managed to cross that line because to me there's always been I've never had the calling or the, or the feeling of, of that mm-hmm. but also I've always had the problems with um, I still fundamentally personally aren't convinced Jesus actually yeah, ever yeah, existed. Yeah. And that's the big question. Because, one, I mean, for me, the two things which always niggled me were, first of all, um, I don't think it was a book or a documentary, but I think it was the 
King Solomon's Temple and one of the um, what are the 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 stone are they ossuaries the stone they're like stone coffins they used to keep remains in or something but I think one of the two, some of the, the two physical things were a mention of Jesus in in some um, tablets from King Solomon's Temple or wherever and also mention on the inscription but they were both subsequently shown to be um, uh, archaeological fakes um, right. and then you'd think which I've always had an issue with. Um, has been look at you know back in back in the period where Jesus was around historically, um, they had their version of the tabloid press. They had the tattler of their time. You know things were documented what was happening from day to day. But I always found it uncomfortable that everything was written so retrospectively late in history. Uh, there, there was very little written. About, I don't know whether there. You, you can you'll know more about this. Whether there's anything written about Jesus while he lived. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just thinking. Don't like, I put you on the spot? No, here, no, so. no. I, I'm just thinking that what I'm about to do sounds like apologetics, which is um, no, no, like a it. Christian defense of the faith. And I'd have a real aversion to that. And I really hate those conversations because yeah. I don't think anyone really cares anymore. But to answer your question, um, I think there's, I heard somewhere there's more historical proof of Jesus existing than there is Julius Caesar. And in terms of extra biblical literature, um, there's a really good historian called Josephus who was a Jewish historian at the time. And he, he mentions Jesus along with some other um, historical documents we have around uh, executions and stuff like that. Um, so that, I think there is a little bit out there. Mm. Um, but having said that, I mean, the, even the, the gospel accounts, um, the fact that they are largely similar, yet there's a few details that are kind of divergent, if you like, kind of shows that there are different perspectives, but there's a lot that sort of... It's like the Sun and the Telegraph, the Guardian and the Herald, all reporting on the same story. They get certain facts are not not tied up, but well, being a lefty, I'd only listen to the Guardian. Right, <laughs> that's good to know. <laughs> but they, they all agree something happened, and there's right. something significant about this man. Yeah, and also, you know, to, speaking, I mean, we have lots of Christian friends, and it's a very personal journey, and mm. and it's not a rational journey. Um, it's something you feel with your heart. And it's something which guides your life, obviously. Um, but it, it does... It's very rational for me. Yes, well, yeah, 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 of course yeah. it would be, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I think if, if, you're a, if you are a Christian and it forms your belief system, then obviously it's something rational mm. to you. I mean, how, 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 what was your journey to that? Yeah, to well, I was just thinking that. I went through a few phases. So I was... <laughs> I was brought up in uh, the charismatic renewal, which uh, I think began in the that 70s. Sounds, that sounds sexy. <laughs> I was a very sexy time for the church. So um, I'm, I don't even know 100%, but I think this originated in America. And uh, Billy Graham sort of came to New Zealand a couple of times, did some crusades. But I think there was like this move of the spirit. Um, and a lot of churches were born out of this idea that God was at work in our everyday life. And so there would be healings, there would be... I guess the miraculous, there would be um, God interacting in, in an experiential way. So my first experience of church and God was wrapped up in all that. And so um, I had I had this upbringing where I was sort of very aware of the, of I guess, of the presence of God, that God was intermingled with, with life itself. Um, so that was like my first introduction. And I was probably quite comfortable with that growing up, um, you know, very charismatic, you know, felt the spirit and all that kind of stuff. Um, then I got to my teenage years and I was, you know, figuring myself out. Um, but I got to 
I think it was, I, th- I would have been 19. And I remember being in a, a home group, which is, uh, for those that don't know, it's like a extra church group where you get together and you talk about meaning and faith in the Bible and try and figure things out. And uh, I was talking about the Bible and I was talking about the Word of God, how it was the Word of God. And someone was like, well, how did you know? And I think I sat there and I was like, I don't, I don't know. And it spun me out. I think for about nine or 10 months, I was like, I don't want to touch the thing because I don't know who, who wrote it. What the heck? You know, how do I know anything's true? And that was the first time I really felt the rug being pulled out from under my feet, uh, feet um, and almost like the floorboards being pulled out and this nauseous experience of everything I thought was true I, I'm not sure about anymore this this um, destabilization and um, deconstruction and it was very traumatic actually and I think anyone that goes through that finds it pretty traumatic and so that was my first experience of it but around that time I started going to Bible college and I had some really really good lecturers who were able to kind of help me put things together in a way which was satisfying for me um, so I kept engaging in theology and I, and I went back and did some formal theology training uh, and kept doing my own study after that. Um, but I, I started reading really widely because I, like you, I didn't want to stay in an echo chamber. I wanted to really know, you know how far each argument went in each direction. And I started reading this uh, theology, which basically started to talk, about, to talk about God as the ground of being, which basically is... God's not necessarily personal. We can't know him as a person. We can't necessarily talk to him and know him, but he's the force. He's, he's that which gives everything else existence. He is like the current underneath all of life, um, if you like. So he is the force. Mm. And so I really got to this point where I was like, maybe that is all God is. Maybe he is just the, the energy that animates everything else, but he's not a person. Mm. And so I really, I stood on this, I felt like I was standing on this precipice of, well, that's just a, a layer of meaning that I could place on life. I could quite easily just say that, well, God's not there and this is all there is. Very materialist. Mm. So I stood on this precipice of going, well, <laughs> do I just chuck it in? Well, is, is this unbelief? Like, what do I do? And I, I actually didn't know. And I st- stood there for about a year and I was like, oh, I actually don't know what I believe anymore. And I'm, in terms of being a Christian, I think I'm like vaguely used the same language, but I think I mean very different things. Mm. And I think with an orthodoxy, I would be, would have been outside it. Mm. Um, but something interesting happened, which I, I didn't make happen myself, whereas I thought about this and I thought in this frame of spirituality where we all just kind of are taking part in this energy that binds us all, um, your selfhood disappears. And especially at the end of life, you, you just sort of disappear into the ether. You become absorbed into the mass of the force. Um, and it actually really troubled me. I was like, because my deep sense within me is, and this could just be the fact that I'm four on the Enneagram or a creative and I you know, value my, <laughs> my uniqueness and I'm a special little snowflake. But um, something about, I have a deep sense of thinking, actually, I think who I am is important and I think the people I love are important and I think the love that we share between us is important and I mean I'm sure you ex- you've you feel this about Miles and, and Rachel like oh well yeah lots of people with yeah, humility yeah, yeah. yeah exactly like it has to matter yeah I guess you know it's one of these things where oh you know Rachel and I have been together since we were 16 and yeah. and, and so like a hundred years yeah exactly <laughs> she's my she's my soulmate, and yeah. it's interesting because I think when you've been together that long, and when you when you have a, a soulmate like that, 
almost like a third entity enters the relationship. It's, it's yeah, not, that's, it's, that's it's, so interesting. It's not a crate. It's not a crate, and it's not a rag. Yeah, <laughs> but but there, you are more than the sum of your parts. There's more than the sum of yeah, your parts. Yeah, and it's the other the other times I've experienced that is you know, background in music and stuff. And you've, you've, you're the musician, you've played in bands and groups, you'll experience this as well. And, and lots of musicians I speak to experience similar stuff, especially when I used to play in an orchestra um, where there's a group of people playing with love, mm. playing with intent, playing cohesively, and another entity is generated. And in an orchestra, it is very tangible. To totally. see that happening totally. in in you know rock groups or wherever it's it's there or you know improvise it's there as well, um, uh, and and so where am I going with this? Okay, that's what, that's what happens when you're fifty. Your brain goes. <laughs> so so where I'm going with this, I think, is what you just described is your reflection upon w what is what was God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is probably my standpoint. Yeah. So, even from a science... You and most people, I think. Yeah, even yeah. from a purely scientific perspective, this cannot be an accident. It mm. cannot mm. merely be, um, you know, the, 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 the fine balance of, of matter and constants and physical laws in the universe, mm. in this universe... <laughs> um, oh, gosh. <laughs> is, um, is, is so delicate... Yeah. Um, that that one of the one of the things we must consider is that it's not an accident. Yeah. You know, one of the things we must consider is that it is possibly by design, and if it is by design, then it opens up lots of questions. I guess where lots of people like me start drawing the line or having an issue is. And I think this comes historically from religious dogma, where one religion says another religion that you know, you're all going to die because you're not following my religion. And no, right, no, no, right. no, 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 no. And, and I have we've had a friend who went through the Jehovah's Witnesses, mm. and I've never heard such horrific, horrific tales of mm. inhumanity and uh, mind control and manipulation and nastiness and vindictiveness. Oh, I can tell you some of the stories. Yeah. Yeah. I've never heard anything like that in all of my life from something which was supposed to be a caring religion, which ultimately appeared to just be a bunch of power crazed nut jobs. Yeah. Any lovely uh, Jehovah's Witnesses out there? I apologise, but, but that's... Oh, you'll find them all through the church as well. Yes, yeah. exactly. So yeah. all I'm saying, it doesn't matter whether it's Jehovah's Witnesses or Islam. Yeah. You know, it's like, I mean, is, I mean, talk about a religion with a bad, with a bad press at the minute. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I mean, I don't think many people realise that Jesus was a, is a prophet in Islam. You know, he's recognised as a prophet from, from, from my understanding. And also... Um, you know, even the word jihad, you know, um, is taken wildly out of context. I mean, a jihad for uh, for for a Muslim is an internal battle and an internal struggle, their own path to mm. a degree. That's the war of God against impurity, and that yeah. Can, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's so I, I I guess from from I think one of the issues we have with religion is we we've grown up seeing you know. We've got the Jews bombing the Palestinians. We've got the Pal We've got Hamas bombing the Israelis. They both think they're 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 ideologically on the right team. Um, 
we have the the Catholic Church raping children and and hiding it. We have, you know, we have we have evangelical Christians on private jets fleecing people who who haven't got food to put on the table just so they can do all of this, and it just leaves a really bad taste in our mouth where it where it's it's a separate thing from a god or a creator and it's almost man's power struggle to take ownership of that Mm. and i just wonder whether religion will actually get past that at some point it's a great question i mean to slightly sidestep what you've said because i think you are raising some really important issues about objectivity there Mm -hmm. um and to kind of go back to what i was saying before and to build on that is I had a I had a really interesting experience in a lecture a few years ago where uh, there's a woman in in my class who um, had lost her daughter in a car accident a couple of years before, so pretty much the most horrific thing that can happen to a parent. And we were talking about um, you know God and relationship and the afterlife and and you know what what happens. And she came up to me really, really distressed at the end of the lecture and was like, well, will I see my daughter again? She, you know, she's a, she was a believing Christian. Will I see my daughter again? Because I don't want to be absorbed into the ether and I don't want her to lose her personhood. It was really important to her that that didn't happen. And, uh, you know, f- from my standpoint, I was like, actually, I think, I think the, the journey of, of Christianity is you become more of who you are um, in, in relationship. And I think that goes back to what you're saying about how your relationship with Rachel and Miles works and all that kind of stuff. I think the, the, the issue we have, I mean, we can talk about dogma, but and dogma can be abused in an authoritative sense. But I think dogma is there to serve a, serve a purpose. I think what can happen is when, when spirituality's meaning becomes vacuous, you're kind of, you aren't left with very much. And I think that's what I was looking at when I, when I got to that point myself was that, oh, I don't, I, I want things to matter and um, I want something beyond my own subjectivity because I feel like I, I can't answer these questions. So I think where religion, if you'd like to use that word, comes into it is to say, here's a tradition that has trusted the person of God interacting with us that perhaps we can actually know who he is because he has revealed himself to us. Now, that can sound really heavy like you have to believe this or not but it, it is a choice um and the way i look at it i mean say say there's another civilization out in alpha centauri you know the other side of the universe and um they've got their own civilization similar to us maybe they're just blue or something who knows yeah. and um god turns up as one of them and before that they had their own religions their philosophies or who they thought god was like um and, but if god shows up you kind of have to all your conversations about God have to kind of stop and start again from that point. Mm. And I guess probably without trying to be dogmatic, what I'm saying is I think I want to start from that point. And mm. that is dogma in the true sense of I'm saying <laughs> the truth is here. But it's your personal dogma. Yeah, I, it is. But also we have to talk about objectivity and subjectivity because mm. there's both in that. I think we can, you know, science the narrative of science of the last hundred years is moving from to understand that's not just objective, but it's also there's an element of subjectivity as well. Absolutely. And I think that's the same within the church, that we don't hold the objective truth to ourselves. Our subjective is important, but actually at the same time, the objective has to be part of it as well. Otherwise, we're not dealing with anything of substance. So I think 
I want to push back on the purely subjective religion and say there has to be something to know in order for us to know anything. Uh, but I don't want to come down too heavy on that uh, in a sense of I've got all the right answers. All I'm saying is uh, at this point, God has to have showed up. Otherwise, we've got nothing. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. And, 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 and even from a purely scientific perspective, um, I think a lot of people who operate on a scientific perspective recognize and take solace in the fact that there there has to be something else yeah 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 because you can't okay look you know the deep love that two people feel between each other mm. um that that warm fuzzy feeling does your you inner in, inclination tell you that that's true and it matters and there's something in, in that yes yeah yeah see yeah. i want to say that there's something there in that yeah and there is yeah, yeah. and and um, what if God understands himself in a relationship like that? Yeah, well, I, I actually think, I actually wonder whether, whether God has to ex experience themselves or herself. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I've got to bring a bit of wokeness in somewhere. <laughs> or I'm, uh, I'm wondering whether God ex experiences, their only way of experiencing themselves is through imperfections and us and everything else and whether you know i just I, I, so you're necessitating creation is that what is that what's happening is oh. that saying he can't be god without a creation to be god over is that yeah it, it, i guess look it's so f from an experiential thing from a, from a human perspective i guess because this is this is our only standpoint you know, we were human. We can only experience four dimensions, you know, left, right, up, down, backwards, forwards, and time. Yeah. Right. So, so we have a limit, we have a limited set of senses. Yeah. Um, that did, but our scientific understanding of our senses has changed dramatically. Yeah. Over yeah. The yeah. Years. So um, you know, even, you know, the, 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 the your gut instinct yeah. is a thing yeah you know your your gut yeah. your gut is a brain to a degree yes your intuition matters your intuition matters yeah. and um and your intuition can be right and, yeah. and then scientifically there are people who are precognitive there are people who have had intuition um there was some really fascinating experiments that Rupert Sheldrake did where he he, he asked, um, this is going off on a tangent. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not avoiding. No, 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 that's cool. But this, this is, so it was a thing that where he says, uh, um, there are any dog owners out there where the dogs know that, that the owners are returning home before they get there? You know, is intuition a thing? Yeah. You know, you know like mother's intuition. You know, there's lots of examples of parents knowing when a child is in peril or a child has passed away or vice versa. And there's no scientific explanation for it. And um, anyway, cut a long story short, did a series of experiments. And, and yes, statistically, um, amazing. statistically, you know, animals seem to know when their owner is on the way home uh, in lots of respects. And also there are lots of documented things where people have um, cognitively or animals have cognitively mm. preempted disasters or things, you know, mm. before the earthquake in Aceh Provence and stuff, mm. stuff like that. You know, animals went to the hills long before and there was no seismic activity recorded. So there was something going on. Yeah. Okay. And I think this is where the interesting thing for me where science is at at the minute is there is a beginning of recognition that we don't know everything. Mm. And the, I think the biggest, the biggest problem science has is consciousness. 
in in science the, the 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 science consciousness is called the big problem because years ago um scientists went oh just give us 10 years and we'll we'll find where consciousness is in the brain or you know we'll find where memories are in the mm. brain you know so um and they still haven't got a clue mm. you know we ha we have no idea um how memories are stored in the brain because even from a logical perspective, we say if, if memories are stored in the brain and we retrieve them, then there must be some kind of card index yeah. in the brain telling us where those memories are. But then there must be a card index for the card index mm. ad infinitum. Mm. So from a, for a, from a philosophical perspective, there are big problems with, with scientists' uh, understanding of consciousness and I suppose this, this human soul yeah. in some respects. And um, so... When we, when I, when I say I think about God as an entity, yes. from my perspective, um, I do wonder whether my take on that is just experiential through things that have happened in my life and coping mechanisms mm. that help me do with that, deal with that. Because life's a scary thing to go through on your own. Yeah, and I, and I think that that disposition of openness is really good. I mm. really do, and I think. Because, like I said, we're cross-pressured. We're caught between certainty, uncertainty, imminent, and transcendent. Mm. Um, and so we're all feeling all of this at the same time. And, you know, I, I sign up to the Christian banner or whatever, but yeah. there are days where I'm just like, doesn't appear that there's anything beyond this, you know? Yeah. There are days where I have no idea what I'm thinking about stuff. Other days where I'm like, whoa, I can really sense God, and actually that can't be explained, and I feel yeah. really close to that. Um, so we all feel this cross-pressured the influence of all these things mm. and and so we all have to answer the same questions there's no us and them in that there's like what's what what appears to be true here um and i you know i guess to come back to it you know to objectivity and stuff um i'm i'm just worried that we put too much emphasis on subjectivity and i think that can lead us down funny tangents and paths <laughs> so give, give me an example of that you know in the kind of real world um, yeah, I mean, again, I don't, I don't want us to sound like I'm talking disparagingly to pe about people because so many people, like my family and my friends, um, have gone from probably quite an evangelical faith to either no faith or probably more commonly to uh, just openly spiritual, which so so similar similar to you. Yeah. Um, and, and that seems to be what the data is saying too, which is... Um, you know, religion is on, on, on the decline, but spirituality is coming back with a vengeance. Mm. But I think that comes from every part of society, which is, which is saying the only thing you can really rely on is your subjectivity, is your inner inclinations. Um, and I think where that can get, <laughs> to use blunt examples, you know, we've got, uh, we've got phrases like follow your heart or follow your truth. What we're trying to, I guess what we're trying to do is, is, we're trying to continuously label some metaphysical yeah. entity yeah and we're trying to do it with language and i guess what's become clear and and this conversation we're having is the conversation i think the church needs to be having which is um how can you say you have objective knowledge of god mm. so that's where it's really coming to because yeah. people are open to the spiritual but they don't if your if your religion seems to be contradictory to their experience, mm. it's very difficult to 
have that conversation. Is there anything wrong with it just being spiritual? No, I just think it's limiting. In what way? Um, I just think if you have to find uh, all meaning and resource from within yourself, I think there are just things that can't be answered. Isn't that just a cop-out? <laughs> Isn't that just a cop-out just to, just to let somebody else take responsibility for your life? Well, that's actually a really uh, common historical um, criticism that's been thrown at the church. This idea that um, holding on to religion is childish and um, that to grow up is to accept that there is really no meaning to be received and you have to just accept the world as it is, um, whatever it is. It's quite depressing though, isn't it? It is quite depressing. <laughs> well... It's also it's quite inspiring. It is, it is, it's it is. Like you, you would stoically march into the world, make meaning for yourself. Um, that, that's quite inspiring as, as well. That's I think there are, there are interesting, there are times in, there are times in, in, in my life where I've definitely felt a comforting presence mm. of something else at times when I've really needed it. Wow. Right? And same with Rachel, you know. For, for, for reasons we won't go into, but um, from a science, <laughs> but I can't help but wondering, is that just, is that just me projecting mm. that desire and then it becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy for want of a better word? Mm. Um, but then I wonder, also, I mean, the other thing which fascinates me with this is I, you know, I speak to and, and, and listen to, 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 to people in this area. And psychedelics fascinate me. <laughs> not that I, I, I've not done psychedelics. I'd like to put a public service broadcast out there. I'm, I'm probably but open. But straight after this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 they fascinate me. I know people who've done um, psychedelics. And, and, and psychedelics should never be a recreational thing. They're, they're very powerful. And um, it, they're, they're coming back into scientific vogue, if you like, especially for treatment of depression and mental illnesses and stuff like that. But... It's fascinating. You talk to, to people who have done um, you know, DMT or ayahuasca. No, or... it really is like a Joe Rogan podcast. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, to, to, maybe to a degree. But um, it's so interesting how totally unrelated people have yeah. almost identical spiritual yeah. experiences yeah. doing that. Well, I've got someone quite close to me who's all for it and mm. said some pretty amazing experiences of uh, feeling connected to the entire universe. Yeah. So what's fascinating to me, again, from a scientific principle, obviously, <laughs> is um, fascinating how different people in different cultures and related throughout the world have almost the same identical experience yeah. and um, we don't think this is related to the, 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 the brain chemistry for it happening. Yeah. Um, but it's almost like it, it opens your antenna. <laughs> I suppose mm. to 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 understand things a bit better because you know we are limited with our senses to a large degree. That's a really good analogy. I think that's that's a similar thing to what, what happened with the charismatic renewal. You have these amazing spiritual experiences, and suddenly your antenna is open in ways that it wasn't before. Yeah, and I, I think and, and I think it's it's worthy of experiment. It's worthy of of. Um, of looking more into, mm. um, and it's worthy of understanding. And it's certainly, it certainly shouldn't be, um, you know, looked down upon or, 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 or criminalised or whichever way you want to look at it. Um, but again, I, I know people in New Zealand that have done um, ayahuasca and, and some shamans come over and they've 
gone to Waiheke and and and, 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 and <laughs> that's so classic. You got to Waiheke and do some ayahuasca. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could, yeah, you can't do it in Newlyn, obviously. <laughs> I'm doing my hecky because why the hecky not? Yeah, why I the hecky not? But um, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's it's hilarious, isn't it? I love it. That. But I do, I do, I do wonder, I do wonder about those things, and also so. So I so I guess I'm, I'm going around the houses here, but yeah. fundamentally, what I'm saying is, there are times in my life, and there are times in many people's life, when they've felt something which yes. is not tangible. Yes. Um. And it's a spiritual thing. Totally. Um, and that's that cross-pressure thing. We're suddenly pulled into the transcendent when... Yeah, you're pulled out yeah. of yourself yes. to a large degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the feeling of, of love and compassion mm. and those type of things. You know, nothing makes you feel better than being compassionate and helping somebody yeah, else yeah, out, yeah. you know. Um, that's one of the most rewarding things you'll ever do with your life. Um, but I still have this real issue and I wonder I wonder whether religions as we traditionally understand them will actually survive mm. the course of time because they were so rooted in dogma and mm. so rooted in control mm. um, you know whether it was it was basically men wielding power for for, right. for 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 most religions, you know, whether it was Catholicism, you know, keeping women out of the church, um, you know, whether it was Islam and and their perceived backwards mm. treatments of women and girls in, in their religion, it was very much a power, very much a tangible human trait. Yes, that that we see as a fault in many religions, um, and. And also, the religion, the, the specific religion's lack of ability to man up, for want of a better word. You know, we've got, you know, uh, COVID vaccinations going on in Israel at the minute, and Israel openly turning around and saying, oh, well, we're not going to give any to the Palestinians, you know, because we'll just look after our people first. And if you've got any left, mm. they can have some. The problem I have is almost a lot of humanity and compassion is removed from the religion. And I think maybe that's why we, people are, are looking for their spiritual path instead. Well, I think, I think the whole power dynamic is, is difficult to pull apart because uh, in previous um, eras, um, religion was a powerful uh, source of the moral order. So it had to be related to power. I mean, we don't need it in the same way now, um, but it wasn't about power, but it had to be wedded to it because of how society was structured. So it's a, it's a bit more of a nuanced conversation around that one. But um, certainly... It's not nuanced when you go to St. Peter's in Rome and, and look at everything they've nicked. Right. No, no, no. There's, and, there's, and there's terrible, terrible um, instances in through history, which it was abused. But it was seen as like a society's put together uh, in a certain way, and we need religion the state to kind of act in the same mm. in the same way um but in terms like i can only really speak of the church really i mean yeah. i don't i don't know about other religions that much but certainly the church needs to adapt and i think uh it needs to adapt in the conversations it's having how they're having them how they're doing community that kind of thing needs to adapt um whether religion will survive um <laughs> i mean I believe I believe it will. I think 
the church has been through harder things and has come out the other end. It's been tried to be wiped out. It's been persecuted. It's, um, yeah, it's been, uh, been through a lot and it's come out, come out stronger. It definitely needs to adapt. Uh, but these are the sort of conversations that need to happen. It's like, has God mm. shown his face or not? Well, that's the only question we really need to answer here. Um, mm. Because we all sense something of the transcendent. So can we know more than our sense of the transcendent? Mm. Really? I mean, that's... Yeah. That's, and you and I are coming down on different, I guess, different answers on that. But that to me is quite an interesting... I think there's a, I think there's a huge amount of commonality between... I totally agree. What, 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 you know, everything we're talking yeah. about here. And um, when I say, you know, can religion survive? Yeah. I, I do that with a pinch of <laughs> pinch of provocation yes. in there yeah. um because you know it, it 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 does make me wonder you know and, and so, by the way sorry to interrupt we are talking about the west because in yes in every other part of the world it's absolutely skyrocketing yeah yeah absolutely yeah. and you know it, it's uh, you know you look um and it's also so much more culturally integrated in uh, you know so like you know the times i've traveled around india you know mm. with, with, with hindu temples and buddhist temples and the, the community around them mm. it's ingrained yes it's ingrained in them because it is it's actually much more of a religion it's much less of a religion more of a way of life yeah 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 i guess that's what i was trying to say about before and when it's wedded to power it's like mm. integrated with all society yeah 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 and and so i mean you know the um, Islam is resurgent in many places around the world at the moment, and Christianity, um, Catholicism, you know, is arguably declining globally mm -hmm. in some respects. Um, and I, I, it's just fascinating to watch that game play out. Well, it's, the way it's playing out in New Zealand is quite interesting. If we just take the, the Catholic Church as an example, um, no one's... Um, <laughs> going into the vocation of joining the priesthood, really, in New Zealand. It's just not an option for people. And so what... what why? Well, because it's not a valid career. It's not something they want to orient their life around. They just kind of want to partake of it when they want to. Right. And so what's interesting is if you want a priest, you have to get him from overseas. You get him from the Philippines or, from, you know, <laughs> somewhere else. So... Is, it, so is that one of the critical workers lists that can just... <laughs> Well, I think this is important. Like, what's how is the church going to survive? Well, actually, it probably won't be Western. Probably won't be English speaking. Mm. Uh, and so that's the answer to the question. I think is yeah. that the what I think probably the Western church and the West is going to be having a very interesting conversation. When you're saying that, the, the world would be a much better place when we're all a, a light shade of brown, anyway. Right. <laughs> probably. Yeah. You know. So it's. Um, you know, perhaps that's globalism at its at its at its ultimate ultimate mm. point. Mm. You know, um, no, I think that was a really interesting. And I'd, you know, I'd love to talk with you more at some point, yeah. and maybe we 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 choose something and hammer it down. But yeah. no, it's really fascinating. And I think you know, obviously, the frame of this was around dogmas, and there's no denying that they still exist. Mm. But the line is becoming increasingly blurred, and I think if, if anything especially in the political sphere in the last four years that we've seen is the human propensity to be tribal, yes. to shout rather than listen, mm. uh, to not compromise, mm. 
and to some respect living in a post-truth world. Yeah, yeah. To a degree. Yeah. And, and I think, sorry, no, no, you go. But I think like what you're saying is we all need certain dogmas to orient our lives around, you know, mm. human rights, they're dogmas, like we will live by this standard. Um, the dignity of a human being is, is a dogma. But I think, you know, the distinction we want to make is we want to have dogma that we live our, orient our life around, but mm. being dogmatic in a certain way, that's the problem here, isn't mm. it? But, well, I think traditionally, you know, I, I've not looked up the definition of dogma in the Oxford Dictionary, I probably should have done, but um, the dogma for me is always being perceived as an immovable belief that right. somebody will always argue for regardless of yeah, evidence yeah. contrary to it and i think um the dogmas that we build around our life are probably more flexible than that mm. in reality um and hopefully you know we'll see people's propensity to to you know i i i, I love getting two people together with the opposite point of view mm. because at the end of it you normally find out you've got so much more in common than you had against each other whether that's religion whether it's politics whether it's economic policy whether it's music that you like yeah 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 um you know we're 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 nuanced beings mm. and our interpretation of religion should probably be more nuanced too mm. i guess um but no, thank you, Sam. That was fascinating. Oh, it's been a really good time uh, yeah. and a very beautiful setting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was only interrupted a couple of times by Obi, so that was good. Oh, yeah, that's good. All right, thank you, Sam. Cool. Uh, another time, mate. <laughs>